Hello, I'm Alec Wilkinson. This is Sailing Uncovered. It's episode 13, an adventurer's episode. And it's kind of interesting how it came about. Um, Like a lot of us, I I took a little bit of time off over the summer after uh, all that hard work at the America's Cup in Bermuda. You know, there's only so much dark and stormies uh, you can drink. There are only so many beaches you can lie on. And there comes a point when you just need a holiday. And it didn't seem to matter where I was. Um, I just kept bumping into people who'd done remarkable things, really extraordinary things like um, paddleboarding the full length of the Danube or rowing across the Atlantic or sailing around the world with their families. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know I'm a sucker for a great adventure story. So out came the recorder chatted to these amazing people and this episode was born so what have we got for you well coming up british tv star and adventurer ben fogel and a young sailor from denmark who sailed round the world when he was 14 14 but first we'll start on the shores of the danube in germany where i met fellow sports journalist tim cruise who decided to put everything on hold his work on hold which given he covers sailing and he did this during the summer was a pretty brave thing to do he put it on hold to paddleboard his way along the full length of the danube that's almost two thousand miles tim cruise here we are on the shores of the danube where you started your long voyage um first of all just give us an overview of of this crazy adventure that you went on well, I started in Donaueschingen, which, which is in Germany, uh, in June, 1st of June. And then I paddled for 3,000 kilometers to the Black Sea. So I went through uh, 10 countries, uh, four capitals, and uh, it was about 1 million pedal strokes, I guess. Okay, so for those who haven't got a, a world atlas in front of them, just give us a rough idea of where the Danube runs, which countries it goes through. All right, so it starts in Germany in the Black Forest, which is very close to France. So you cross all over Germany, then you go through Austria, then you reach Slovakia. After that, it's Hungary, Serbia, Croatia, Bulgaria, uh, Romania, Moldavia and Ukraine. (laughs) And And I guess if you're following a river, you don't really need a map, do you? No, I never had a map, seriously. And people ask me, don't you have a map or do you have like a tourist guide or anything? I say, no, I don't want that because First of all, if you're on a river, you won't get lost because the river just flows and you just go with the flow. And also, I didn't want a tourist guide or anything um, because I just went on and when I liked it, I stayed. And when people told me, oh, you got to see this in this castle, I went. And so, and when people talked to me, it was much nicer than reading a guide or anything. It was a real good experience on my own, you know, and not reading it. So, uh, you're a sailor and obviously most of our listeners are, are sailors. And they're going, well, why are we talking about paddleboarding? It doesn't involve sails. But actually, a lot of sailors are paddleboarding these days. And I think in this particular episode, it's, it's just, we're just talking about the spirit of adventure, really, and the fact that you just had an idea and you went, you know, I'm going to do it. Yeah, it was like that. I, um, actually, I already wanted to do it in 2016. But I didn't manage because, you know, everybody of us has a job and all that. And it takes two months to do the whole Danube. So uh, then in 2017, in June and July, I, I figured, okay, that's a good time to do it. Although I'm a sports reporter in sailing, so that's the season in Europe. And I still said, no, I've got to do it now. So I did it. And that's what it's about. Adventures, you just have to do it. If you feel that there's something you have to do, do it. Just go for it. Okay, so practicalities. Um, you can't carry much on a paddleboard. So what did you carry? 
Actually, you can, because I had this huge whale. I got sponsored, and I've got this um, inflatable board with 330 liters, and you can pack a lot on it. So I weigh 90 kilos already. Not because I'm too fat, but I'm, I'm quite tall. <laughs> and I had... You're, you're about, uh, six, I don't six. know, seven foot ten. No, 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 it's only six six. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many pounds is 90 kilos. I don't know, because I work in kilos too. Oh, you do? So, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Americans, it's about like 200 pounds, I guess. <laughs> what did I pack? I had a big bag um, with a tent, a sleeping bag, a sleeping mattress, cooking stuff, uh, clothes, and all these little things that you need, uh, some spare parts uh, if something breaks, like a spare pedal. I had a little wagon with me to carry my board around all these barriers that you have on the Danube. And I had a little bag in front of me with, all, with my computer, uh, with a little food in there, stuff you need quickly, like photograph, my, my mobile phone, those things. So altogether, I had about 30 kilos with me, plus me. Computer? Did you really need one? Yeah, because I'm a writer too. So uh, as I tend to write books, I had to write and I, um, I had a blog which was followed quite well on the internet. And uh, right now I'm correcting the book and, and adding some things and uh, usually it should uh, be published next year. Okay, so, uh, and it's going to be in German, but... Uh... No, yeah, 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 it's going to be in German, but I'm going to translate it. Okay. So, because I had a, a, an Indiegogo campaign, and many people supported me for the trip, and I promised them to get a book, and many were my American and English friends, so I have to translate it now anyways. So, um, maybe I'm not going to find a publisher, but everybody who's interested can get the book on my home site, or on yours probably, I don't know. Do we have a title yet? What do they have to, how are they going to find it? I think it might be called About the River, or Over the River, let's see, something like that. A work in progress. What was the, um, what was the toughest part of the trip? The toughest part was certainly uh, in Romania, because the closer I got to the Black Sea, the rougher the wind got against me. So I had headwinds all the time, every day, of at least three to four before, and stand-up pedaling against the wind especially when you're tall it's just terrible it's a it's a struggle so uh, I had days where I just sat you know I was it was not stand-up pedaling was sit down pedaling I was just sitting on my board in the tailor seat and uh, just taking my pedal and, and fighting against you know it's not only the wind but it's waves because back down there the river is really straight it doesn't have many curves so the waves build up like on a, like on an ocean or on a big lake so I had waves against me and with that big board it just it just stopped me so much and that was a really hard struggle um, and, and you've got you've still got bright red eyes that was, <laughs> that was from some some infection you picked up yeah. in the water people think now that I'm drug addicted but I'm not <laughs> it's uh, the, the water is really dirty it's filthy water we must say like it started in uh, actually in Hungary where people are lovely really I got invited all the time I never went to a supermarket in Hungary for example but their sense of pollution isn't there they, they don't have that sense so when they make a fire at night on the shores they just throw every plastic bottle into the river uh, no 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 into the fire the, when you go to Serbia they throw everything into the river and I think especially in Serbia which is not European uh, European Union uh, they don't have filters they have nothing and of course I had to wash myself and swim in the river every day I went to the toilet in the river of course and then uh, you just adding to the pollution yeah, well, but compared to all the cows I saw sitting in the river because it was so warm, like my pee isn't that much compared to them. And um, so 
they put everything into the river. And as I swam in it every day, several times because of the heat, I got infections of my ears, my eyes, and I still look like a zombie. <laughs> I wonder if that'll ever change, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the worst part of it. What was the best part of the trip? There were so many beautiful things. The further east I got, the friendlier the people were. So they invited me to eat, uh, to sleep in their houses. In, in Budapest, I got invited by millionaires to sleep in their mansion. They had a swimming pool and it was just unbelievable. So the nicest thing were really were the people. And of course, the nature. The more and more I got used to being on my own, camping in the wilderness, sleeping on beaches, the more I got used to this life. And being now back into our crazy world, I really miss it. And it gave me the idea that maybe one day, sooner or later, I'm really going to go for a longer trip. Not on a pedal boat, maybe on a sailing boat again. Now, the thing is, since you got back, you've been invited onto TV shows to talk about it, onto radio shows. Um, but it wasn't quite like that when you actually finished. It was, it was a bit of an anti-climax when you made it to the Black Sea. At the end, I arrived there on my own. But from, for you now here, it sounds like an anti-climax, but it wasn't. First of all, it was good to be on my own. I was happy to have this moment just for me, not oh, hang, to share. Hang on, hang on. You've been paddling all these thousands of kilometers, and then you finally cross that finish line, and there's no one there. It's perfect. I, I was happy to be on my own. I was crying. You know, it's just, it was, that was the moment. On the other hand, when you do such a long trip, you find out, you know, that's this old stupid saying that, uh, how do you say that in English? The goal is the path. No, the, um, the path is the goal. <laughs> how do you say that? The, the journey is the something or other? Yeah. Der Weg ist das Ziel. The Germans will understand. The journey is the goal. It's, a, it's about the journey, not the arriving. Or so, exactly. It's about the traveling, like not like the arriving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So we know end, what you mean. Yeah. So in the end, you find out that even getting there and being arriving at your goal is just another part of the trip. It's not more important than any other part of the trip. So in the end, being there on my own was the best that could happen to me because this moment was so intense and I fully understood that actually we don't have goals to achieve. We're, we're there already. So as the church bells chime in the background, um, you haven't actually told me why you did it. What made you go and do it? That's a complicated question because I don't know. It, you know, sometimes you get these ideas, um, at least I do. For example, I got an idea of uh, I have to fast for 40 days and I did it like 10 years ago. Or I wanted to follow a guru through India, I did it. So. Sometimes. All of which have turned into uh, good-selling books in, yeah, well, in Germany. Yeah, and um, I, I sometimes get these impulses that I have to do something, and I love stand-up paddling, I love the Danube, I love Europe, and all of a sudden, probably on the toilet, I got this idea, <laughs> and I figured, yeah, I've got to do it, I have to do it, there's no way around, this is a great idea, and so many people, well, half the people said, what a great idea, half the people said, why the hell do you want to do it? What's, what's your problem? Why don't you, why you just live a regular life? And I said, I can't. I can't live a regular life all my life. I have to do these little adventures every once in a while. Otherwise, I feel dead in all our comfort, and I have to leave that zone every once in a while. Okay, so there's someone listening to this thinking, ah, I've got an idea. There's something I've always wanted to do. So how do, how do they go and do that? Uh, just do it. I know it sounds easy, and, um, it, but it is easy. I, I give you an example. A friend of mine, he uh, sent me a message. <clears throat> A friend of mine sent me a message on Facebook and he said, uh, you're living my dream. And I said, why don't you do it? You can't do it. He said, no, I have a house. I have two children. I said, well, then do something else. Don't, you don't have to be on a paddleboard for your, on your own for all the time. Find a way. And traveling is so cheap. 
we, we always overestimate the costs. You know, I took seriously 500 euros for that trip in cash with me. And I spent the last 50 euros on my bus back from the Black Sea to Bucharest, which was only 10 euros. But like, and then I still had money. It, it, those trips don't cost anything. So if you want to take your time out, do it and just travel low budget, which is much nicer than staying in stupid hotels. With, then you stay in, in that comfort zone. Leave the comfort zone. And leaving the comfort zone is so cheap. So just do it. Go for it. Well, it's a fascinating story. Great adventure. If someone wants to know more, how do they do that? Just Google my name. My name is Tim Cruise, T-I-M-M-K-R-U-S-E, which is the German version of uh, Tom Cruise. <laughs> if only. <laughs> or you, you Google the SUP mission, S-U-P mission, and you'll find it. Links to Tim's website are on our Facebook page. Indeed, we've posted loads of fun facts about all our guests on the page, which, funnily enough, if you've not been there before, you'll find it's called Sailing Uncovered Podcast. That's on Facebook. Our next guest needs no introduction, well, for our British listeners anyway, um, although he does tell me the BBC has sold his TV shows to lots of countries around the world. Ben Fogel has raced across Antarctica, he's rowed across the Atlantic, and he did this year's Round the Island race. And we met up on the Isle of Wight a few weeks ago, and the obvious first question had to be, sailing or rowing? What would you rather do? <laughs> it's it's got to be sailing, really, doesn't it? I don't, I don't think ocean rowing doesn't have a huge uh, amount to be said for it. It's, it's long, it's tedious, it's incredibly satisfying. Listen, I'm, I'm really proud that I can say I rowed across the Atlantic, but it's not something I'm going to go and do again. It, it was definitely a, a one-off. Um, if anything, I, I, have, I do have aspirations to, to sail the Atlantic. I'd love to, to do it in, in slightly more comfort although that's debatable when, when you're sailing, but I'd love to do it in, in slightly more haste, slightly more speed. And uh, I think that, that would certainly be my next big sailing adventure to, to do that. So if any of your listeners are planning on a speed crossing, uh, you know, bear, bear me in mind. Um, you've got all the uh, you've got all the qualifications, so uh, you should be quite a good crew. Do you know I, I I do have all the qualifications, but they're purely it's paperwork. If I'm to be honest, um, I, I've I, I've got my um, I've got my yacht master, I've got my coastal, I've got my offshore, I've got my dinghy, various levels. But it, it, it's a classic case of all the gear, no idea. To be honest, <laughs> it, it was quite a few years ago that I passed them, and actually the reason I got my my uh, my yacht master was that we we simply weren't allowed to row across the Atlantic unless we had it. And from a navigational and meteorological point of view, it really was vital. We we, we wouldn't have got very far if I didn't have that knowledge. But as with everything, when you let let it go for a few years and and i am a jack of all trades master of none i you know i've got my i've got my uh, rally racing license you know i took part in a, a five-day uh, car rally across uh, the australian outback but would i trust myself in a car again having passed that a couple of years ago probably not so it, it, it's a case that i'm very lucky with my work i'm a I'm a qualified skydiver. Would I jump out of a plane on my own anymore? Not really. Um, and, and I think the same goes for, for sailing. But I like, I like being able to tell people that I've got them. I, I remember my instructor after I'd done my level two R-way dinghy course. And I said, so what's next? Once he gave me the certificate. And he said, just go out and bloody sail. You don't need to do any more paperwork. <laughs> exactly that. You know, I think so many people get caught up in the paperwork, uh, but it's practicality, isn't it? It's practice, practice, practice. And, uh, and, 
and in all seriousness, although I've got my coastal yacht master, I, would, I, I don't think it would even necessarily be validated because I've got the theory, but ha, have I got the you know have I got all that ocean time? Yes, in a very small twenty foot boat on the Atlantic, which. It's quite hairy, but it's very different to a boat under speed, under sail. Um, they're, they're very different disciplines. Your connection with, with sailing, because it, it goes back you know, years to, to when you were at university. I, I went to university just across the water. We're in Cowes now, and uh, you can see the tower, actually. It wasn't there when, when I was at Portsmouth, uh, but that's, that's where I studied for the best part of four years. And obviously, being so close to the water, I took full advantage of, uh, of sailing. So I actually I joined the University Royal Naval Unit, and uh, as a, a midshipman in the, the Navy, I joined the, the Joint Services Sailing Club, which was just based across the water in Gosport. So I got my skipper's license, uh, did dinghy sailing licenses, and, and to be honest, I spent more time on the water than in, in the lecture halls probably a reason why I got a 2-2 but you know what the the, the important thing for me about those very happy four years or so that I was down here in the Solent was was my my relationship with the water I really fell in love with it I was never particularly good at it um, but but I had a real passion for it and uh, and and for cows in particular it's a very happy place for me I have huge memories here and and actually this is the first time I've been back here in a couple of years so this breakwater over here is all all new and and what's wonderful is walking around town and meeting people who I haven't I haven't seen for 15 or 20 years but that's the beauty I think of of sailing isn't it you know I, I think lots of your listeners will relate to that wherever you go in the world you bump into familiar faces you can go for years and years without seeing them or without seeing those people, but suddenly you go back to that moment that you had on that boat that, you know, I, I remember taking part in races to the Channel Islands, uh, to Ireland, many, many very happy cows weeks here. So uh, it is, it, it, it puts a big smile on my face. Now here's a question, like me, you've got uh, two young kids. Um, have you managed to get them into it? Well, I, I've got a six-year-old and a seven-year-old, a boy and a girl, and uh, and I've taken them both out dinghy sailing a little bit. And I was actually I, I was quite nervous about how they would take to it because they're still they're still a bit wary, despite my job, which involves you know taking on challenges around the world and, and adventure. And we, we go on adventurous holidays, but I was slightly nervous, and they loved it. To be honest, we, we went out in appalling weather the very first time, and and they actually enjoyed it more than I did, and they were incredibly good at it my, my, my son had a, had a real knack I, I went with an instructor I didn't trust myself to I, I wanted him to learn correctly and I think I think going back to your your original question it's about not pushing it it's about it's about letting them find it in their own time and they both loved it and they've been asking when they can go again so it's now just a case of, of finding that opportunity and I think that is the important thing with sailing because I have a lot of friends whose parents were passionate sailors and they were forced to go out a little bit too early on a on on in poor weather conditions and i think that can can turn people off and and we all remember some bad experience we had as a child now i know your tv shows have quite a following around the world um but your next project is is a book and you've written a few but your next it's a very English book about English people. Exactly. It's, it's very pertinent right now, 2017, post-Brexit. Um, we're, we're, we as a nation are being asked to look at ourselves very closely. And uh, as an Englishman, I, I, to be honest, I'm 
bit of a, a fraud, really. I'm, I'm at, my father's Canadian, so technically I'm I'm only half English, uh, and my grandfather, in fact, uh, was Scottish. So so uh, so I, I am a bit of a mongrel, but aren't we all? <laughs> it, uh, but aren't we all? There, there, there you go. But it did. It got me wondering about Englishness and, and with the Scottish referendum and Scotland being asked if they might like last year to uh, to, to have independence, which, which they, they voted against. Um, but it got me thinking about what it means to be English and, and are we allowed to be English anymore? Because we're not, are we? We're British. We're part of a union. But but and, and and that's the big thing. So I, I'm writing about what it does mean to be English. What 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 in 2017? But from my own slightly unique perspective. So it's it's focusing on eccentricity. I've always been attracted to the weird and the wonderful. So part of it has taken. I've done the World Worm Charming Championships, the the Cheese Rolling Championships, um, but also the kind of the eccentric aristocracy that we have in this country, and the great English brands, Marmite. Um, tea, uh, all of those things. Uh, so, so it's it's definitely got a, a, a sort of unique twist on it. But yes, that's been keeping me uh, be very busy. And of course, being here in Cowes um, is arguably part of that. You know, the, the the unique home of of sailing really here in England. What's it called? The book. The book will be called English. Ben, thanks very much. We'll keep an eye out for it. The book's not out yet, but we'll let you know as soon as it is on our Sailing Uncovered podcast Facebook page. And you know, if you haven't already, you really should like it. And that way you won't miss any of our posts or competitions. And we'll let you know as soon as the next uh, episode of the podcast is out. In fact, whilst you're at it, please subscribe to the podcast too, so that it automatically lands on your device as soon as we publish it. So you can do it right now. Do it right now. Just click or touch subscribe right who hasn't thought about setting off to sail around the world and then you go hang on hang on what about my job the kids the schools what will we live off well there was a dad in Denmark in 2009 who thought all of those things and then he just went what the hell I'm gonna do it he packed his two young sons and wife onto their boat and he set sail but Eight years on, what does one of those two sons, who's grown up now and who was dragged around the world, what does he think about his dad's decision? Well, it certainly hasn't put him off sailing. He's just competed in the Sailing Champions League, which is where I caught up with 22-year-old Jürgen Moore Ernst. It started with my dad, of course, having this dream since he was a boy. Uh, that he wanted to go around the world in his own boat with his family. Um, went to work for, for Mask for, for a year and then the financial crisis came uh, so Mask closed that department um, and then he just thought well there's no only money to earn anyway so we'll go sailing it's a good time now and we just bought our boat uh, an IMAX 40 the year before and for those who don't know what an IMAX 40 is can you describe it? Uh, it's a very well built build a 40 foot um, racing boat it's made for racing in the beginning but it, it has um, yeah furniture inside and, and that so it's it's comfortable to live in um, okay so um, so you you're from Denmark you left Denmark um, and and what route did you take um, yeah I'd say the regular route uh, down through the English Channel and down to the Canaries and Caverda actually um, which is a bit far further south than the rest uh, do um, and then for Cabo Verde to Antigua in the uh, Caribbean, uh, Panama Canal, uh, Galapagos, 
and French Polynesia and uh, just a regular route. We had a stop in um, New Zealand for half a year actually, um, where we went to school, me and my brother. Uh, which brings me to the next obvious question. <laughs> um, you were 14, how old was your brother? Oh, he must have been nine when we left Denmark, yeah. Okay, yeah, so, and, and it was two kids. Yeah. Two kids, two, two parents, and you set off with, so a nine-year-old and a 14-year-old. Um, how, how was, uh, probably for the nine-year-old it wasn't such a big issue, but at 14, how, how did schooling work? Leaving the school wasn't a big problem for me. It, well, leaving a school for any 14-year-old <laughs> is no problem. Yeah, so I was all right with that. Um, of course, leaving my friends was quite sad. Um, but, but did your dad and mum make you study whilst you were sailing? Uh, yeah, we uh, we were so fortunate to get uh, some books from uh, from the Danish school. Uh, so we had basically three years worth of, um, of reading. Um, and then, of course, we had the... Yeah, we had a, a blog. Um, and I think once a month... We, we wrote something for the blog, me and my brother. Um, so just stories or what we experienced or, yeah, even poems, I think. Um, so yeah. I- explain to me the, the stop in New Zealand for schooling then. We've always wanted to stop somewhere for, for half a year. Um, and then New Zealand was just uh, the best choice because it's quite similar culture to the Danish and we knew there were good schools. and. Yeah, and it, could, it, was a, it was a nice place to stop. Um, so I started in school in Auckland in, I think, in the winter, and then uh, we left in the summer. Um, but that was actually really nice up here, yeah, going to school in the museum. So you had six months in Auckland? Yeah. And then you carried on um, to where? North, around Australia, to Darwin, and, and then something called Christmas Island mm-hmm. in the middle of the, what do you call it, um, Indian Ocean, um, and then across the Indian Ocean um, to Mauritius, and then actually um, we had some friends we'd followed from uh, all the way from Las Palmas, Danish, uh, also with kids. Um, and when we came to, we were actually in New Zealand. They kept going because they only had two years scheduled, um, but they actually got caught outside of uh, Somalia by pirates. Um, so we had to. Our original plan was also to go through um, the Red Sea, but after that happened, no one wanted to go through there, so we had to sail south around Africa, um, which of course was a nice place to see, but yeah, it wasn't planned. <laughs> so it begs the question, what happened to your friends? Uh, they, they made it. They were there for, I think, seven or eight months wow. before they were they were bought out. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was really sad. There was, yeah, we really felt helpless and yeah, felt sorry for our friends and what happened. So for a 14-year-old, what, what is it like to spend three years of your teenage years on a boat with your family? Uh, was there ever a kind of... Uh, did you ever get fed up and say, look, do you know what? I want to go clubbing. I want to meet my friends. <laughs> I want to, you know, I want to go out and get drunk. Yeah, yeah. We, me and especially my father, we had our share of arguments, uh, as you do in, in that age. And sometimes it's really hard to be on such a small boat because... I think everyone in that age already has um, this thing with, with their parents, but then being on a forty-foot boat, uh, it could be it could be interesting sometimes. Um, then on, on the other side, I think it, it made us closer. Actually, um, me and my parents. What What did you get from the experience, other than great travel memories? Uh, what, what What else did you get? How did it change you and form you as a as a young man? 
I think um, definitely gave, gave me a lot of confidence in uh, in my sailing ability and also seeing all these parts of the world and meeting all the people and we had we had no uh, bad experiences with anyone uh, nothing unfortunate happened so it was it was great to uh, experience a world where people were actually quite well even though you only hear the bad news of course in the radio and on, on television and they they were all very nice to us of course it were different cultures but that's but, but that's nice to know that people out there are actually good given you were spending so much time out in the oceans um, there must have been some hairy moments yeah we had uh, not in the indian ocean but actually from um, bermuda to uh, the Azores, our last crossing of the atlantic we had three or four days with uh, plus 40 knots uh, of wind and the, the waves were they were pretty big they were coming down from from greenland where there was also a storm um and yeah it, it was a bit of a nightmare but and the wind was actually coming from the source at that moment so we couldn't even go towards our destination so we actually had to go a further southern course a more southern course um down to i think madeira was the yeah where we would end up if we had kept going that way but the storm passed and, and we got through but it was, that was really yeah it was no fun and we had to helm all the time because the autopilot couldn't couldn't take it and it was really tough it so was. scary stuff that could have put a lot of people off off sailing but far from it with you you're um, very much competing at a, at a pretty high level you're competing in the danish national league you've competed in the sailing champions league where where next what are you, what are your ambitions but it would be nice to um also go go sailing on the oceans again uh, maybe with my own boat one day uh, with my girlfriend that would be, that's uh, i think that, that's my biggest dream right now so rather than a racer you're you're more of a, an adventurer an explorer i i like doing both i like doing both if you could do yeah well ocean race would be my biggest dream of course but uh, well you're what 22 years old so you've you've still got time to make the volvo ocean race <laughs> <laughs> yeah so finally as the kid who was dragged around the world by his dad um for all kind of dads listening out there did he do the right thing is it fair to drag your family around around the world on a boat yeah i would definitely say yeah that was a good choice i'm happy he did that for us yeah so jürgen's dream is to race the volvo ocean racer he'll want to listen to next month's episode because that is going to be a volvo ocean race special so much to talk about um you know the, the female influence on board now with the new rules about female uh, sailors. We've got uh, well an old friend of this podcast, Dika Fari, the only female skipper in the in this edition of the race. Uh, what else could we talk about? Well, um, a, a new formats with import racing, different stopovers, and what about the technology going forward as well? There is so much to talk about. I've just been to the uh, Race HQ in Alicante and spoken to loads of people. So we will have a bumper edition for you in September, focusing on the Volvo Ocean Race. But I hope you've enjoyed this one, episode 13, our episode on adventurers. Remember, you can get in touch on Facebook and on Twitter. And remember to subscribe by pressing the button at the top of this podcast. But for now, from me, Alec Wilkinson, thanks for listening and goodbye.